Back in 2016, when the Indians had their 14-game win streak snapped, the A's tweeted at Cleveland, cute win streak, Scott Hatterberg, probably. Of course, the Indians would eventually surpass Oakland's AL record streak the very next year. Flash forward to Sunday, the A's saw their 13-game win streak snapped, and perhaps the biggest demonstration of restraint we've seen since Zach passed on his third dessert at Yankee Stadium The Indians resisted the urge to tweet, cute win streak, Jay Bruce, probably. This is the Selby is Godcast. You are listening to the Selby is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field, back is Spencer at the one and two, Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. What is up, everybody? Welcome to a new week of the Godcast. It is TJ Zupi. It is Zach Meisel. Happy to be here. What's up, brother? Hey, those Yankee Stadium desserts are no joke. I mean, they don't give you like a little slice of pie. They give you the pie. (laughs) I know they do. It's why we can't stop talking about it, even, well, how long has it been since you've been to Yankee Stadium now? I think it was 2019 because I remember when Jordan Montgomery took the mound the other night, I was thinking, you know, last time I saw this guy pitch in person, I remember I was eating, you know, they have those awesome chicken fingers in the press dining at Yankee <laughs> Stadium. And I remember eating those in the press dining room. I think I'd finished writing something, and so I had to watch the top of the first inning in the press dining room. And before I even finished my chicken fingers, he had given up like five runs. I, that might have been the night. I think the Indians won like nineteen to five or something. Um, just a, I, Jose Ramirez went off. So yeah, it's been a couple of years, but the Indians will go back there in September. So soon enough. Well, we didn't see any games like that in this series. In some ways, it was as advertised as other ways you could say it was equally as painful as maybe you would expect it to to take place. But we'll recap everything coming up in a matter of moments. Do want to give a shout out to all of our new Patreon supporters who have joined us over at patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast. It is really you guys that keep even this free weekly episode coming. So shouts out to shouts out, shout, shout outs. What is the proper context there? Shouts outs. Shouts outs. RBIs. Runs as bad it ends. Todd, Linda, Mitchell, Tom, and Kyle, and also Matt. You guys are awesome, and it is because of you that we're here doing this, even for the rest of you that aren't on board yet. So what are you doing? Come over and join us where you can get midweek episodes for the low price of $1 per midweek episode, in addition to the weekly godcast that comes your way courtesy of apple Podcasts, google stitcher spotify and those of you that follow us on twitter at tj zuppi at zach meisel at selby's godcast already know all of this so welcome back you forgot podbean it's there it's one of our biggest uh listening outlets at least according to the stats i follow those religiously i need to know where people listen how people listen but podbean yeah shouts out to podbean too we're everywhere we're on iHeartRadio. How is that possible? We're on their website somehow. Does that mean we get to be at that, like the music festival they do every year? <laughs> we're we're going we to be there. a live episode. We're going to be there. Yeah, right there. We're going to dissect everything that happened in the 
Bieber Garrett Cole matchup that we we spoke about on the midweek show, and that lived up to the hype. I mean, that was as thrilling as you will see a regular season April game be, uh, where every pitch matters because two offenses that yeah have had their issues, and the Indians clearly. Despite everything we talked about in the midweek episode, all of the advanced stats maybe telling a more pleasant picture than the actual run output would suggest. But all that aside, it is tough to put up any offense when you're facing those two pitchers. And it's not shocking to me that it took a couple of Yankee bombs to get that done and uh, took a, a, a come from behind win on Sunday to avoid the sweep. So. Depending on how you want to look at it, a tough in, uh, weekend for Indians fans to watch, but also some fun baseball for overall baseball fans to enjoy as well. It's kind of crazy that coming out of that series, the Indians actually have the better record, I think by a half game. That Yankees team is very flawed and also just terrifying, right? I mean, <laughs> like because even the guys at the bottom of the lineup, and I know Rugna Dordor hit cleanup on Sunday, but... The guys at the bottom of the lineup, like Clint Frazier, like th- those guys can hit one out at any time if you just leave a pitch over the plate. Or sometimes even if you don't get it on the plate, they're just they're guys who can hit for home runs. That That's the difference, too, is I think there are parts of the Indians lineup that an opposing pitcher can navigate through and not have to worry if he hangs one or misses his spot. Like, odds are you're probably going to be okay. Maybe you give up a base hit, but so many guys in that Yankees lineup, it's like, if you misfire, it's going 420 feet. So it, it's a it's a scary team, but it is definitely a flawed team. And I think you look around the American League, I, the, every single team is flawed. I mean, even Oakland, who won, what was it, 13 in a row? I mean, they started one in six or one in seven. Um the American League is going to be wide open this year. Well, not everybody can be the Kansas fun. City Royals, so uh-huh. let's That's keep true. that in mind for all the, the discussion about the way that their offseason unfolded. Credit to them. They played really well coming out of the gate, and then you have teams that you expected to be good, like the Yankees, like the Twins. I mean, what is happening in Minnesota? And I know you and, and Dan Hayes will have more on that coming up this week over at The Athletic, but just some really weird uh, records, some odd things to look at. But yet when, when I look at the Indians record, I don't think I'm surprised. We've talked about maybe a win or two could have gone either way. And, and certainly a throwing error uh, cost them a game in Cincinnati. So you could certainly say that they should have at least one more win on their ledger. But the offense continues to do offensive things. And really outside of a handful of guys that I don't really get too concerned about, including Jose Ramirez, which we can talk about in a minute. There's just still so many parts of this lineup that are are a struggle to to watch every night. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously you're not going to have any issues with Jose Ramirez. I, I really believe, and I've said this, and maybe it's because, <laughs> as we talked about, I wrote, Bramil Reyes is the right-handed power bat you've all coveted for years and years. Um, and then he went into just a miserable slump for a week. But he has shown you, and even he's swinging and missing a ton. Um, it's been ugly at certain points, but you look at his overall numbers and he's been as productive as anybody in this lineup. So I think you don't really worry about him. You know, he can get hot and carry you at times, but then like, that's it. (laughs) I mean, where else are you getting offense? Jordan Luplo certainly crushes lefties has fared pretty well against righties so far, but we're in that weird state of purgatory where we don't know if he can be an everyday guy. Is he going to get that chance? thought it was pretty telling 
against a righty. He was in right field. Ahmed Rosario was in center. And Josh Naylor was at first base on Sunday. I think that might be a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, but yeah, it's just like, who who can you rely on for a hit when you need it? Maybe Cesar Hernandez, who started to heat up a little bit here. But there's just there's been no rhythm to this offense. They finally had four straight hits on Sunday. It was the first time in eight months that they've done that. So there's a long way to go. And and I think the main point here is that just snapping your fingers and calling up Bobby Bradley or Daniel Johnson is not going to just solve everything. This is going to be a lengthy, painful work in progress. And you just got to find whoever's swinging the hot bat, put them in there every day. But are we really looking for anyone to fix the offense? The theme of this year isn't necessarily <laughs> well, that, that. Uh, and and maybe ownership opening up the, the pocketbooks a little bit. But the theme of the season isn't necessarily finding stars. It's finding contributors. Finding Nemo. Oh, sorry. <laughs> God, I know Disney movies are the only ones you watch, but can we avoid <laughs> every reference to a Disney movie that we can, at least while I'm trying to make a point? So I, I don't have to look at Daniel Johnson to be a savior because I don't think that he is that. But would I like to know if he is better than Jake Bowers? Yes. And are we nearing a time when that probably should be implemented? Yes. To wrap up your thoughts on Frontmill, though, you know, it's been such a weird year where he 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 was he had such that that home stretch the last time they were in home. I mean, he was on fire, complete nuclear suit, super saiyan, just I think you wrote anything that the, the ball even touched his bat, it melted. And then he just went ice cold. He couldn't get a hit on the road trip to come back home. He heats back up. Now, the, the total of his season, this slash line, 286, 326, 14. And that's a 155 WRC plus where 100 is league average. That's 55% better mm-hmm. than league average offense. What helps when you have two triples in a series? <laughs> And, and a stolen base. What the hell? This, who is this guy? But yeah, it's a weird output for him. But man, if I told you he was going to reach a 155 WRC plus this year, uh, I would be doing, well, I can't really do them at my age, but I would be doing backflips or attempting to do them like my son flipping over the couch for endless hours as he was <laughs> earlier today. Uh, that's beyond even what I thought his capabilities were. Not, do you not feel my son just I'm talking about that? <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. I uh, was chasing my kids around the house uh, a couple of hours ago after the game was over. And as I turned the corner, I felt a sharp pain in my hip. And it's just like, oh, this is it. This is how it ends. Oh, man. But Frondo <laughs> Reyes has been really good. Yes. Yeah, and it's those. So you have a couple pieces. It's just who who belongs with them, and I mean the other thing too. I think Jose Ramirez. I, we were talking about it earlier today. He's been really, really good. It hasn't always shown up in the box score, maybe because teams are now playing multiple levels of right field against him. <laughs> and yeah, like you see hitters all the time pull one into the shift. I, he had one Saturday night. That like I've seen right fielders play where the second baseman corralled his like three hopper um, and they threw him out. So, but he's he's hit the ball really hard. Um, and those are the two guys who like can get hotter than anybody else, right? Because when they hit the ball hard, it goes for extra bases, they're driving in runs, and that's like you have 
I think the hard part, you just got to get the other guys to get on base. That hasn't happened. How many times has Jose Ramirez come up to the plate with two out and nobody on? Seems like that's the case in the first inning every single game. I'm glad we're starting with a few positives because there are so many negative things that you really want to nitpick. And Well, you also run out of things to say. I mean, I, that's the other thing I, it's, I wrote the other day. It's like, it's easy to pile on Jake Bowers. I was, then I wrote, no, that, that, that's it. That's the point. <laughs> that's the tweet. Like it is yeah. easy to pile on him. There's nothing well, more to say. Well, let's hold off on that because we're, we're going to address that. And it, it's really out of necessity at this point, but we haven't talked at all about Ramirez and he, he had a, a stretch where it was like, eh, he's not really hitting that well. And overall the slash line, he's hitting like 243, this uh, eight, uh, a sub 800 OPS, which is, it's fine. It's not great. Not a guy that's going to carry an offense, but below the surface, he's been actually tremendous. And I, I, I don't say that because I'm necessarily surprised that Jose Ramirez would put good offensively. It's that you need a guy like him to carry an offense. And so far it hasn't happened in the actual production, but what he, the process by which he's getting to where he's at, everything below the surface suggests he's just fine. And in fact, maybe better than where he's been at in years past. I mean, rocking the 243 batting average, but the expected batting average is in the 94th percentile. He's got an expected weighted on base average, which is based on quality of contact, frequency of contact, you know, how hard you're hitting it and what direction you're hitting it. You factor in the walks too. He's in the 89th percentile. He's among one of the the, the, the top 10% essentially in Major League Baseball and that stuff. And that's all the things that you would really care about as a hitter. He's not striking out even at a rate that we saw last year. And that wasn't high last year. He's drawing pretty much the same amount of walks. The only thing that's down is the launch angle, but he's lining the ball all around the yard. And the expected slugging is, I think I had 80 80 percentage points higher than where he was at last year based on the quality of his contact. I mean, this guy is just crushing it and he has not been rewarded. Some of that is just bad luck. He's actually had a little bit more from the the right side in a, a case where even in the, the the situations where he's not shifted, he hasn't performed as well. But from the left side, he's crushing it. And and even the shift hasn't taken that much away from him. Um, it's just some guys that some t- some chances that were just atom balls right at th- the third baseman, right at the first baseman. But this is so very important when you're talking about an offense that just is not getting it done anywhere else, that you have your superstars perform like superstars. And while like the OPS doesn't look like a superstar. He's hitting the ball like a superstar. And we know that's got to continue for this offense to forget thriving, just be able to survive. Yeah, yeah because, uh, well, I, I think the issue is, again, like it's been so hard for them to string hits together. And that's because you look up and down this lineup and it's like, Ahmed Rosario is giving you nothing on offense. Cesar Hernandez has finally come out of it the last few days. Eddie Rosario has not done much. Josh Naylor has done next to nothing. Your catching position. I mean, Roberto Perez has drawn a bunch of walks. He's hit a few home runs. You'll take that. Austin Hedges. How about that? Big RBI yeah, single. Um, but it's, I mean, you can point to six or seven of the nine spots in the lineup where you're getting bare minimum execution. And so he's just not going to get rallies. That's why they relied on home runs in such an absurd amount. The first few weeks. Now, they only hit one in the Yankees series, and look what happened. They, they lost the first three games of the series. So you're going to have to find – I mean, and look, 
we've heard Terry Francona say how many times guys get to their levels, but the problem is you, we don't know what Josh Naylor's level is. Yeah. We don't know what Ahmed Rosario's level is. So you want to have patience, but at the same time, you're going to have to start pressing some buttons and plugging in some other guys where it makes sense. Yeah. And the, the, the really easiest place to focus any attention is first base because they are getting the worst offensive production from any first base group in baseball from, from that group. And it's, it's not, can I tell you how it, it's <laughs> their WRC plus entering Sunday first baseman was five, like the single digit a <laughs> hundred is league average. And we're talking first base. So this is a position where normally you have pretty automatic offense. You've got your slugger who can yeah. hit 25 home runs. Um, second worst, WRC plus in the league belong to Detroit at 41. So that's an enormous gap. They're 36% worse than the second worst team in baseball. It's brutal. And Absolutely that was before brutal. Josh Naylor went over four on Sunday. So it's probably a little bit lower. And the crazy part is it is barely higher than their offensive output from their pitchers. Tristan McKenzie had that single Cleveland's pitchers are one for six with that single <laughs> and their WRC plus is negative three. Oh my God. And it's, it's almost as productive. It's bad. And it's largely Bowers and Yu Chang, some Naylor mixed in, but oh, it is, it's been a lot of Bowers and Yu Chang. Now you one Chang, other thing though, go ahead. The, the Sorry. The, the biggest issue with this, that's also while you have a platoon. So like Chang's facing lefties, yeah. Bowers is facing righties. So you're being put in the best position to succeed, and it's just absolutely brutal. Well, I told you, I was very okay, and up to really the last few games, still very okay with finding any way to get you Chang at bats you could. And with this imperfect roster, it was coming at first base. Aside from you, you had the error that I guess cost you a game that he made still, as we talked about during that situation, I don't put too much of it on him. Tough play happened at the wrong time, whatever you move on. The more important thing is you needed his bat in the lineup because he came out of spring training, spraying the ball all over the place and hitting the ball over the fence. So I a hundred percent understood that you wanted to get him as many at bats as possible coming off of that spring training stats are worth next to nothing, but he was swinging the bat. Well, so you see if it can continue. I got it. I understand. I understand why he was playing first base and why he was getting the chances that he was. I've seen enough of him that I am comfortable enough to say that he has some sort of role on this team. I think it's more than likely going to be in some sort of super sub role, but I don't look at him like I look at other first basemen because he's not a first baseman. He brings versatility to play the middle infield. And I've seen enough from the bat that I'm curious to let him stick around, maybe playing in that, that super sub role, Mm -hmm. but getting the at bats at first base at the expense of maybe some guys down in the minor leagues that may be better suited to to take some of those at bats that's why i you know I, i've crossed that threshold where i really i'm really not that excited about him getting the opportunities just by plugging him in at first base now and, and i feel good enough about that zach that i'm okay i'm starting to grasp how i can use this sort of player i don't think he's bad but i don't think he fits uh, other than just you want to get into the plate as much as possible and that happens to be a first base on this team uh, yeah, I, I'm learning enough about him that I can sort of assign what his role is going to be, but it should not be at first base anymore. Yeah, I'm with you. He he would be totally fine as as the utility guy. The problem is, 
Like Ahmed Rosario might wind up being your utility guy. And then what happens when Owen Miller, who has had like two hits a day at the alternate site and like seems like he's ready to hit major league pitching. What happens when he comes up? They've been playing him at second, short and third. Well, there's not a lot of opportunities at those spots right now. Um, but if you do want to get his bat in there at some point, or you want him on the major league roster, like Chang might be the odd guy out. And then what happens when Tyler Freeman's ready next year? What happens when Gabriel Arias is ready next year? It's like, you know, there is not enough room for all of these players. Um, but, you know, you worry about next year, next year. I, I think the tough thing is, do you want Luplo to play every day? If you do that, I don't know that there's a spot for Daniel Johnson right now. Unless well, okay. you're going to okay. really cut into Ahmed Rosario's playing time. But let's say it like you said it to me the other day, that it's not really every day so much as here are four guys for three spots that you need to cycle through them and get the, the number of at-bats that you can while cycling through those players. And Jordan Luplo needs to be part of that quartet that's fighting for those three spots. Sure. And then maybe so maybe Daniel Johnson and Ahmed Rosario are platooning in center. Right. And the name that yeah. gets left out there is Jake Bowers. Yeah, I mean, I I would not be shocked if he was designated for assignment by the time people were listening. Well, when are we posting this? <laughs> by the time people <laughs> listen to this podcast. Depends. When do you want me to post it? Uh, should I wait for the no. – see, the thing is they don't have to DFA him to bring up another position player. They could send send down Sam Henches, who just – Which I think they're going to do that too. Um, Tito has talked about, they don't feel like they need to, to roll with the extra pitcher, but out of necessity they have here recently. And, and I, I understand why you had McKenzie on Sunday. Yeah, it worked rolling through. What was it? Four innings. And then, uh, Hench is coming out going f- fifth and sixth inning. And, and he's looked really good. I, I kind of like that idea of let's, let's see what you can get out of McKenzie and, I would like to see him empty the tank a little bit more. I don't know if it's, if it is, he's talked about it being a delivery thing. Maybe it is, maybe it's just the, the path of a young pitcher and you get tentative at times. You don't want attack, 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 like pitching coaches want, but would like to see that velocity creep up a little bit more. But I love the idea of McKenzie for three, four innings and then Hench is coming out for two or three. That, that just seems like a, a hell of a time for an opposing lineup to try to figure out. <laughs> well, so think about it. Sunday they went McKenzie, then Hentges, then Quantrill, then Karachek, and then Klasse. And, I mean, the two guys at the end have been nails. They've given up no earned runs in, I think, almost 18 innings, 29 strikeouts. Like, those, they, like honestly, is there a better should brace myself here. I've been speaking in hyperbole a little too much with the Framil Reyes stuff. I mean, there there are if there are better back end <laughs> bullpen duos. Sam Henches is the left handed arm the Indians have been looking for. <laughs> well, he could be the next Andrew Miller. I said that months ago. Um, Karen Check and Class A like is as good as any. I mean, I hater and Devin Williams comes to mind immediately, but there aren't too many better than those two. And you got to see just Henches and Quantrill, who are two really, and McKenzie, three just really intriguing pitchers who have tons of potential, potential. Um, So, yeah, there there are some fun combinations, and this is going to evolve as the season goes on. I mean, they want to keep Henches stretched out. He was at about 85 pitches at the alternate site. 
So I would think he would go back there whenever he does and, and keep starting, but you could certainly use him later in the season and you know, he got his feet wet in April. That's yeah. always a good thing. I mean, he came in and I think his first batter today was Aaron judge. Like, Hey, good luck, rookie. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Yeah. Well, it helps when you can throw 96, 97 up there and we saw some good. We've seen some bad. We saw both in this series from Hench's enough that you're absolutely intrigued. And I am not so much that I, I think down the road, he does look like you would just salivate at the thought of him coming in for an inning when you're throwing the ball, you know, whipping it up there, 97 miles per hour. You do get in the way that his body moves and the delivery, you do get those thoughts and dreams of what Andrew Miller once was. But I understand why the organization wants to keep him stretched out and then just see if he's more than just a one inning sort of guy. I don't think you have to declare that that's what his career is at this point. I don't know that's not what you're doing either. But let's revisit McKenzie in a minute because I, I want to get back to and sort of finish up this thought on the offense if we have to. Just <laughs> the, the one the one thing that we talked a lot about, I tried to stress in the early portions of the season, Jake Bowers, for him to, to have the sort of value that the Indians thought he would have when they acquired him from Tampa Bay and, and the skill that he had coming up through the minor leagues is he drew a lot of walks. He has a, or is known to have a, a good eye at the plate. And so you create value just by on base percentage. Even if he's not hitting 30 home runs, you thought this is a guy that could be an above average player, above average offensive player, because he gets on base and he has a little bit of speed. And so the total package makes him an appetizing player. But we talked about that he has to hit the ball hard and has to make pitchers pay when he's in the, when they're in the strike zone. Otherwise, they're not going to respect the eye that he has, and they're just going to attack, attack, attack. Well, coming in today, he came in with a, a, a walk rate of 5.6, which is way down from where he was at in, in 2018. He, he was, let's see, he was in the, the top 8% of the league with a pretty much a 14% walk rate. You're doing that. You're getting on base a lot. Even in 2019, he was almost at 11% when he was with the Indians. So you could go through some bad stretches, but you're still getting on base, right? Via the walk, you're generating offense in some way. He's not doing that. The strikeouts are still more alarming than even I think they were in the minor leagues. So he's, he's rocking the 27.8% strikeout rate, which is where he was at in, in 2019, but he's not drawing the walks. And why is that? Because nobody has to respect him offensively. Uh, he, yes, he has had a little bit of, of batted ball bad luck. There's no doubt. But that doesn't mean that it excuses or makes him a, a much better player than what we've seen. And in fact, you're seeing these pitchers. Uh, I pulled it up today. The zone percentage, that's the percentage of pitches you see within the strike zone. In 2018, it was 46.7%. In 2019 with the Indians, it was 47.1%. Entering today, it was 55.6%. It means these pitchers do not care at all. They have no fear of putting the ball in the strike zone for him, and he hasn't made them pay. Has there been no man? Good luck. <laughs> has there have there been some instances where he scalded a ball and didn't get rewarded for it? Yes, there have been. And I want to be fair in those situations. But when I say he's having some bad luck, he let's see, entering today, he had a 121 batting average according to batted ball data that's just the expected batting average based on your quality of contact it should be 244 yes that's bad luck but not enough <laughs> to say that things are just fine in in bowers first base tryout land and, and again he, that's mostly against righties 
so you can say there is some some very i mean just scratching the very very bottom of what could be encouraging you could say he's still finding ways to hit the ball harder uh, he's still uh, you know the max exit velocity is still at 110 so it's in there somewhere that's all fine and he he does actually have a higher hard hit rate that's the percentage of balls at 95 miles per hour or harder than he's ever had in his his major league career but it is not translated and really i I can't. I struggle to find many way, way, many ways for me to frame this more pleasant than it has been. I just don't think it's in there, and I I would rather it be the the guy that says, "No, hold on, everybody. I'm seeing something that's really encouraging here," but I'm not. I'm not seeing anything here that's super encouraging. And the one skill that he that he came into this year potentially having, maybe even over a Bobby Bradley, is he could get on base via the walk Well, nobody respects him in the strike zone. And they're just launching strikes up there. And until he makes them pay for it, that's just going to be the way that it goes. And so, therefore, his potentially his biggest skill is not even a problem right now for opposing pitchers. And if you cut bait with him and the Orioles claim him or the Tigers claim him, and he turns into a formidable first baseman, I don't know that people are going to vilify the front office. I mean, this is not a Gio Urshela situation or Jesus Aguilar. And those had their own stipulations to begin with. I mean, Gio Urshela was cut by Cleveland, Toronto, and New York before New York brought him back and he excelled, whatever. You can criticize the hitting development team if you want. I'll have more on that in The Athletic in the next week or so. Um, You could criticize the trade. But I don't think anyone is going to say, oh, they never should have moved on from Bowers. The Not one thing- that that's going to influence front office decision making anyway, but just the fact that, I mean, it's it's beyond repair. The one thing no that, one we, that we cannot quantify with this, though, Zach, is we don't know exactly what they're telling him and how well he's heeding that advice. Mm-hmm. Could it just be that he's just not grasping it? And it's not I, I'm, I'm asking this because we just don't know, but could all of the hitting coaches and all the data and everything be suggesting one thing and he's just not getting it. He's also, I think it's important to point out he's far from the only problem with this offense. And he, for whatever reason, um, takes more heat from fans than anyone. I think it's natural for every fan base to have someone who's the punching bag. I think he has garnered that title right now, but that doesn't excuse like I mean Ahmed Rosario has a 494 OPS. I mean Yu Chang has played just as much yeah. as Bowers. He's got a 471 OPS. But, but you know what so. both of those guys do that Jake Bowers does not? Um play the middle in <laughs> play the middle infield. Right. Positional value here plays into this and Rosario Absolutely. does not have the the length of a track record that Bowers has here in this organization. So you're not going to move on from Rosario in a, a span of a month, especially when you're looking at a guy that just has more tools. Totally. Um, so, I mean, it seems like this team gets off to a slow start offensively every year. It's just, as I said, like in past years, you could say, well, you know, Lindor is going to heat up and Jose is going to heat up and Carlos Santana always starts slow. Um, you can't really make as many declarations like that this time because we don't know what these guys are capable of. We don't know what a full season of Ahmed Rosario in Cleveland looks like. We don't know what a full season of Andres Jimenez looks like. So it's going to be a wait and see game. They're going to have to pull the right levers with their roster maneuvering 
I mean, the lineups, I don't understand why the center fielder has to bat lead off every game. Makes no sense. We've talked about that. Ahmed Rosario hitting lead off against the righty is just asinine. I mean, the guy's got like yeah. a 600 OPS in his career against righties. I mean, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense against lefties, even with some no. of the success that he's had. But that's, that's like, you got to get the right personnel first. <laughs> and then I think we can gripe about the lineup sure. more. Um, so. Yeah, I'm just concerned with who's playing and who isn't um, and who's getting an opportunity and who isn't. So let me ask you, if you're in charge of the roster tomorrow, who is up? What changes are you making and who's playing? Oh, Ghost is pitching every inning. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by Henches. No, I will say I I was relieved that Henches looked the part. Um, I know he gave up the home run to Abreu, but the guy won the MVP last year and Henches struck out the other three batters he faced in his debut. That's pretty cool. Um, because you don't know what a guy is going to look like. He hasn't been in an actual game in about two years. And two years ago, it was pretty ugly at Akron. So at least he looked like he belonged. And he pitched well again Sunday. Um, that was good. But I, so like the next guys on my list are Owen Miller and Anthony Ghost, I think. And Nick Sandlin, who we had on the podcast. Make sure you check that oh, yeah. out. Friend of the pod. Um, yeah. Who has been drawing rave reviews at the alternate site. Again, we've said it over and over. That bullpen potential it has later in the season next year whatever um off the charts but moves i would make i mean it's tough for me to say because owen miller is the exact type of hitter that they really need right now but you wouldn't throw a some one. Kid. <laughs> yeah but no like a contact hitter who is going to reach base a lot and like Cesar Hernandez is supposed to be that uh, he's not. I mean, he strikes out probably more than what I'm describing. But what's weird is this team hasn't struck out as much as you'd think it has. Um, we talked about that last week. I know, but like Owen Miller would just be so great, but you also have to keep in mind that one, you're calling up a, if you're calling up a kid, a, a rookie period, let alone a kid who hasn't played at triple a, um, you can't just have these expectations that you're going to slot him into the lineup and he's going to get on base at a high clip. That's just not realistic. So, and I also don't know where he would play. I, I don't, he, he might have to wait until someone gets hurt or Cesar Hernandez gets traded or something. I, I don't, I don't know where he fits right now, but so I, I would, I would call up Daniel Johnson, but you have to make sure he's getting opportunities. So that's going to cut into Loop lower Rosario, which is fine because those guys are better against lefties anyway. So I would call up Daniel Johnson. If you do that, I don't know that there's space for Bobby Bradley to play regularly too because Josh Naylor's got to play somewhere. So I think I would just call up Johnson for now. Um, and maybe it's like, you know, you could send down Henches and you could cut ties with Bowers. That's two guys. I don't know who the second person Someone from Columbus. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know if that's happening yet. It, it could happen. And if it did, I wouldn't be surprised, but they don't have to go that route. They don't have to cut Jake Bowers tomorrow to bring up another bat, but they're not even playing. I mean, he didn't even start Sunday against the righty. Yeah. I thought that was uh, a good indication of where they feel like they're at. Right. I, I get it. And I am, I'm with you that I would uh, very much like to see Daniel Johnson get up here and start to get those opportunities. I'm not worrying as much about, uh, who is losing playing time because I'm finding some way, as we've talked about many times before, the at-bats can be there if you're creative. And I think if you're cycling between 
Rosario, Luplo, Naylor, and then perhaps Daniel Johnson between the three spots, center field, right field, first base, you can find enough at-bats throughout the week in the way that you face righties and lefties that you can find opportunities for all those guys. But I think Jordan Luplo des- deserves some sort of expanded role, and if he's mm-hmm. doing that, uh, it's going to have to come with him either in center field or right field with Daniel Johnson taking one of those other spots. I, I But I... As much as I, I want to see Ahmed Rosario continue to play because I need to see more than we've seen so far, because so far it has not been anything to be too excited about. I am also equally as intrigued to see if Daniel Johnson can just hit the right-handed pitching that he's supposed to guy that has these tools that we've heard raved about and he can hit the ball hard. He's got a tremendous arm. He's got the athleticism to play right and center. Why isn't he up here? I, I'm just, I, I can't see. They're just running out of excuses why Jake Bowers would stand in the the way of that happening. Yeah, I I wish I had a crystal ball and could look at what this roster looks like in September. Because we we think it is going to look pretty different, but I I don't, even if it does, what's the path to getting there? You know, and I've asked Tito this like 10 different ways, but how do you know when it's the right time? You know, you have to have some feel if you're the manager and you're making decisions not just on the roster moves, but why is this the time that Luplo deserves to face righties and not, you know, 2019 when he was just godly against lefties? Um, that's tough. I, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, Daniel Johnson should be up here. He should have been up here last year more. That none of this has ever made sense. And anyone you ask in the organization will tell you, oh yeah, we know he can hit righties. Yeah, we know he's got a cannon for an arm. Okay, don't you want that on the field? <laughs> yeah, and I've heard, you know, I've heard some or even read some that there's a belief that he can't get to all of his power. Just he's going to have limitations offensively. That's all fine. But can I see it? Can I see it actually play out? I know there are projections. I know there are things that you like and dislike about a player before they ever step foot on a field. But I'm also kind of a show me sort of guy. Let's see it. There's nobody else that's that's truly standing in the way of that happening that I'm going to be like, oh, man, I can't believe they're taking at bats away from that guy to give him to Daniel Johnson. I am absolutely OK if one of the questions that's answered here in the short term is can Daniel Johnson play a little bit because I haven't seen enough to make any sort of determination on that. And based on his skill set, you would think he would. To come back to, I don't know if it would be a thrive sort sort of situation, but enough to survive. I think, the, I think, I think he could play a little bit. I think, he, I think he should be out there. I don't get it. Owen Miller too. I don't know where that dude fits, but you know, I've been talking him up since spring training, and I would love to see him get some sort of chance. But it's not going to come every day in the infield right now. No, and honestly, I, I have not been a believer that Bobby Bradley is going to be some forty home run. Um, just king in the major leagues but hey the rest of the lineup i mean the indian strikeout rate as a team is totally tolerable so why not add bobby bradley to the mix let him play and he can hit for power he can strike out a lot and it won't you know it won't kill you um yeah how much is he work like you get a sense of some guys need the reps because they're working on a swing change. Oscar Mercado. I get it. You're trying mm-hmm. to rebuild him offensively uh, in a way that we saw before his rookie season. I get that Bobby Bradley. Am I that concerned whether or not he's playing five, six times a week compared to two or three? Is he, are we that concerned about the swing or what's going on there that he can't play some sort of role? 
No, because he's, I mean, isn't he basically three true outcomes anyway? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, know, you roll the dice and if it lands on an even number, it's going to be well, a home run. And if it's an odd number, it's a strikeout. Maybe well, if, this, if this team is all about the home runs being the only way that they score, then how about you take away one of the guys and Jake Bowers, that doesn't hit a ton of them. And you had a guy in that hits a pretty good amount of them and just mm-hmm. lean into it. Just lean into that narrative about you being only be only able to score runs via the home run. Yeah. Plus you could have Framil Reyes hitting triples and stealing bases and then Bobby Bradley <laughs> driving them in and just those two running amok on the base. Yeah. Well, I've just, I guess the overall point here is I've seen enough over the weekend to feel like there's some, we're ready to, to make some of those changes. You know, we, we talk, how much do we talk about how much of a lease do you guys get and how many chances and how opportunities and what's the length of time? I you don't really know until you're there, and I feel like we're there. I'm with you, and usually, I mean, again, for the ninth time, I think you want to have patience. Terry Francona always has patience, but think about who he's had patience with, and when all the people are every because if you look at the numbers, this team's offense the first few weeks of every year is just rotten. Yeah, but. You know, you're relying on Kipnis and Santana and Brantley and Lindor and Ramirez. That ain't Rosario and Jimenez and Hedges and Bowers and Chang. So this is different. And you have enough players to cycle through this year to figure out if they belong that you don't want to wait too long and cost someone else a fair opportunity. I know we talked about this a little bit, maybe your last free podcast last week. Are you concerned at all or have any growing concern about the velocity gun when it comes to Tristan McKenzie? Um, I, the velocity gun? What, 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 nobody says velocity gun. It's radar gun, you dummy. So it's, you know, we ask him and Carl Willis every time we talk to them and they're not concerned and they chalk it up to youth and inexperience and missing so much time. To where the mechanics are not, you know, this is not a 10-year veteran who, I mean, or Shane Bieber who can repeat his delivery uh, like nobody's business. Like, it's just, it's not there yet. I I think I, last week I said this reminded me of Danny Salazar's second year where you know he has the stuff, but a bit erratic, gives up some key home runs at bad times. And it's just a work in progress. And it's to be expected. The guy's 23. It's his second year. He missed two years, basically. Um, so I, I'm not concerned. I mean, we've talked about this. I think it's been talked about ad nauseum that the guy can touch his toes without bending over. So, you know, the extension he gets when he releases a pitch makes up for some of that velocity loss. But I think there is a point here where if he's going to be at his best, you'd love to see him just consistently at I don't know, 93 instead of dropping down to like 89, 90 at sometimes. Um, but it, you know, as long as it's not injury related and it's more just the mechanics of it all and the motion and delivery, that's stuff that can be worked out over time. So that's not too concerning. Last year when it dropped, it dropped pretty suddenly. And it, I thought that was just a result of this guy was tiring out. He hadn't pitched in forever. Um, so this is different. And as long as he's not fatigued, because again, like it dropped in the second inning today, but he still went and threw a couple more innings after that. So um, if it's, if you can't chalk it up to fatigue or to 
injury, then it doesn't really bother me too much. Um, you just got to make sure that it is something that is correctable. Yeah. I mean, then you, he just out of nowhere will hit 92 or 93. And you're like, well, what, why, why has it been 91, 90? The thing that it just makes him so unique because of, because of his height, because of his, his length of the arms, the extension that he gets. How much do we talk about the fact that 91 can look like 95, especially when you keep it up in the zone where you got more of a straight line to the catcher where you can take advantage of that rise. I, I know he gives up the two home runs on Sunday uh, and one of them being 90 mile per hour down after I like what five minutes beforehand says, as long as it doesn't leave 90 down in the zone, there it goes. I am not that concerned about it because we see him miss bats. We still, we see guys look foolish. I mean, he can blow it by people upstairs at 91 miles per hour. And I think, well, something right must be happening there um, where guys just don't pick it up or um, it just explodes on a hitter faster than, than they, they think it's going to. Yeah. Big league hitters will make an adjustment to him. And I, I would like to see more of uh, I would like to see him live between 91 to 93, as opposed to 89 to 91. Very true. Um, and hopefully the, he can get to more of that velocity as he grows and matures as a pitcher and nails down his delivery and all that and maybe adds some more strength as he ages. All the things that have been talked about at, at length for him. But when I see him pitch, it's so rare that it's not like uh, he gets into an 0-2 count and then you see foul ball, foul ball, then a ball off the plate, another foul ball where these guys are extending the at-bats. We don't see a lot of that. He's has these high pitch counts mostly because he can't throw the ball where he wants to right mm-hmm. now. And I think there is a difference there. You know, guys can have these high pitch counts because they can't put people away. I don't think it's a case where Tristan can't put people away. We've seen him with some, some stuff on the radar gun that doesn't look electric, but sure looks like it when you watch it with your eyes. So I, I guess my point is I feel like there's so much there to build on that's positive that I'm not, I don't think he has to be the guy that comes out there and throws 94 to 95. So I'm not the alarmist that some are, but yeah, when you see it down 88, 89, I don't think that's acceptable for him. Yeah. His walk rate is triple what it's been his whole career. So that tells you right there that he's struggling to command his pitches. And so if he's not commanding the 90 mile an hour fastball properly, that's when it gets hit 415 feet. So uh, it's it's all correctable stuff, but again, these are the growing pains you have to expect when you have a rotation that's so young. I mean, Logan Allen's going through stuff mm-hmm. too. Zach Plesak's been going through stuff. Aaron Savali overhauled his delivery over the offseason and relearned how to throw all of his pitches. So this is not a finished product. This is different than the rotation's been the last few years, and I think it's easy to lose sight of that. The other thing too with McKenzie, it's like, You know, he's throwing 92, 93 in the first inning, and then it drops to 90 in the second inning. And everyone's like, oh my God, what's wrong with this guy? Okay, well, Classe throws 102 and then throws one 99, and nobody's freaking out. So uh, (laughs) it's it's really, it's we take for granted how difficult it is to just throw the same velocity every single time you throw a specific pitch. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not automatic like that. Um, and it's just something you, you learn and well, something you probably, um, you probably perfect it on the days between your starts. And McKenzie's been a big leaguer for like a month last year. And it was during a pandemic when all the protocols were, um, complicating all the stuff you do in between your starts. And then a few weeks this year, so it's the same deal. It's like, so it's, it's going to take time. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt if he throws harder, he lives 
he can get away with more mistakes. You got to be pinpoint with your command. The more you lose your velocity, um, you see that with Corey Kluber. I think there was always a, a sort of reputation that he was, um, you know, a, an assassin on the corners. Eh, he wasn't always spectacular with his command, but he got away with it because the, the movement and the velocity. He started to lose some velocity, not as pinpoint with the command, and now he's a hittable pitcher. Uh, I, I, my overall point is I'm just not that concerned about it. Would I like to see more velocity? Yes, because it leaves more margin for error for any pitcher. But I think there's just so much good to build on there that you're going to live with some of the frustrating days um, for sure. And that's I, to come back to it, the theme of the season. Although, you know, one of our, our Patreon supporters, Andrew, just wanted to point out that that's unacceptable, that it shouldn't be about so much failure and seeing what sticks and should be about trying to go out and win a division championship. I think what we never lose sight of, despite the fact that we don't always bring it up, would the more desirable thing here be that they added a more formidable, uh, potent first baseman and they don't have to worry about losing a Jake Bowers because they've already got two guys in front of them that they knew are already better that they added or they kept. Absolutely. That's the more appetizing scenario, but you know, we're kind of living with the situation we've been presented. So now we have to assess what we see in front of us. And this is, this is the problem you run into when you refuse to tear down totally. And, and when you refuse to supplement your core, the last couple of years, you have it in place um, is you have this weird, I mean, it's like you have these, the hot air and the cold air make the tornado. And you had, you, you have these two different, um, trajectories of your franchise and they're kind of clashing where oh you have all these leftover guys who never got a chance because you were trying to contend but didn't really go all in and so you were just patching things with veterans and so you didn't give these young guys a chance and now the young guys are here but there's more young guys behind them because the older young guys didn't get a chance I mean that so you end up with a year like this where I think both of us predicted a record I said 80 and 82 and you said 82 and 80 is that right and I mean, what we've seen so far is this team looks great one day and they look like a train wreck the next, or they make a, a costly error that loses them the game because mm-hmm. they have no margin for error. Um, and that's the sort of thing that you're going to have these ups and downs. That's just what this year is going to be. And they kind of set themselves up to have this type of year. So no matter what they say, whether it's, oh, we still think we're going to contend and win the division. I mean, it doesn't matter. I, I think we all need to temper our expectations of what this team really is, because I don't think they know what they are. Um, And that's why you're going to see plenty of roster turnover. You're going to see more growing pains. You're going to see guys at some point, maybe someone busts out and (laughs) aside from Jordan Luplo proves (laughs) that they can, uh, they can achieve more than you expected them to. Um, But this is just, it's, it's really, it's a transition year. Mm. And I think there's no getting around it. And and they've got to be ready to progress to the next guy when they get something close to an answer. They, you, you said yep. it last podcast. They can't be afraid so much that they are stopping somebody else's growth because they don't want to move on from someone that is giving them the answer right in front of them. Yep. Or yep. maybe we could just come back to the fact that they should have settled this whole thing in a much uh, more fun way in spring trading by just letting Daniel Johnson and Jake Bowers and... Bobby Bradley and whoever else wanted to try to fight for at bats, settle this with Mortal Kombat. Finish him. I watched the movie. Did you watch the movie? Are you ready to give your take, your breakdown? 
No, my wife watched another Marvel movie. It was some random Thor something that wasn't like a real word and didn't make sense. Ragnarok? Yeah. Oh, Thor Ragnarok is one of the best Marvel movies in the whole MCU. Okay. I'll take your word. I don't need to watch it now. You are. That is. I would suggest watching it. And you just you completely whiffed. (sighs) I do have a random Indian of the day for you. Oh, really? It's been a while. It has been a really long time. Let's power through it because I'm not going to get it. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> no, this isn't too difficult. I'm this not guy prepared. Pitched, this guy had a 604 ERA for the Indians from 2006 to 2008. 53 appearances, 70 innings, 90 hits, 46 strikeouts. Hmm. He was actually decent in 06 at 295 ERA in 18 innings. Oh, uh, I take that back. He gave up 25 hits. He didn't walk anybody. Wow. Whoa. It's uh, clearly Rick White. In fact, the next year, he had an 831 ERA in 13 innings. Walked two. Uh, Scott Sauerbeck. <laughs> no. Um, he was a righty. <laughs> I have no idea that, why that name just popped into my head. He, this guy is a righty. He, um, he'll turn 37 in two weeks. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Wow, that's right. Scott Sauerbeck did spend a season in Cleveland. He wore number 49. Oh. Uh, Tom, no, that was a that was a lefty. I was going to say Tom Martin. I don't know. He pitched for six other major league teams after leaving Cleveland. Last pitch in 2017. Didn't go very well. Wait, how many teams? Six others. After he left Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland signed him as an amateur free agent in 2001. And then they traded him in 2009. Hmm. Then he was traded again in 2010. He was traded again in 2012. He was traded again in 2015. Signed and released and signed and released and signed and released. And oh, signed so it's released. somebody I should know, but I clearly don't. Uh, the other name that popped up was they lost in the, the Rule 5 Hector Rondon. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Born in uh, Valencia, Venezuela. Middle name is Jose. Now, I don't know if this is going to help. I have never heard this, but baseball reference claims that his nickname is The Chief. Yeah, that's not helping. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He eventually played for Padres, Marlins, Cardinals, Red Sox, Athletics, and Tigers. And what's crazy is he finished his ERA with a th- his career with a 3.92 ERA, so he was pretty good. In fact, he had a, he was an All Star in what? 2013. He had 37 saves. No way. For who? St. Louis. Oh. No, oh, it's going to drive me crazy because now. Uh, oh, why can't I? I I know it, but I don't. <sighs> Yeah, they traded him to San Diego in 09. In 2010, San Diego traded him with Ryan Webb, who didn't he play for the Indians for a minute, to the Marlins for Cameron Mabin, who was in the Indians organization for a minute. Do you give up? I do. Eddie Mujica. Oh, of course. That's not who I was thinking of, but I can't believe I forgot that he was even a thing. Eddie yeah, Mujica. that was a, quite a random season in 2013 when he was the Cardinals closer uh, but he had some good years especially San Diego he was pretty solid um, he had 
couple decent years in Miami and then St. Louis. Then he went to Boston and kind of trailed off a little bit. Um, you know, he came up with Cleveland. He was like 22. And I think just because he didn't walk anyone, it was like he didn't give a, he gave up a decent amount of hits. But it was like, hey, this guy's could have a future. He's got really good command. Um, but that didn't happen. And I just will never forget Paul Hoynes always calling him Mujica. <laughs> uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify, and Mujica Cast. Any parting words for our listeners before we leave them until our midweek episode later this week over at Patreon? Well, just remember, the Twins are 7-13 and 13 and just <laughs> lost a series to the Pirates, so... Oh, man. It could be worse. Powerhouse Royals cannot be stopped. Does that mean we go back and reevaluate how we saw that series take place early in the year? No, we never reassess. We just power through with the narratives we already built in our head. Until next time. Uh, we'll see you. Bye. Bye.